In the previous episode of the Discover the Word podcast, Bill Crowder began a two-part study with the group about a biblical perspective on the subject of boasting called To Boast or Not to Boast. For the next couple of weeks, I'd like for us to think about this idea of boasting or bragging. And I want us to think about times when it's inappropriate, according to the scriptures, and times when the Bible actually says it's okay. Mm. Now, that kind of feels weird. Yeah. There are times when the Bible says it's okay to boast. Well, yeah. Now, honestly, we didn't have much trouble in part one building a case for the negative side of boasting. And we all find it, for the most part, annoying when others are bragging, even though we have a somewhat more difficult time identifying when we're in boast mode ourselves. But as we get into part two of this study, we will find some scriptural support for certain kinds of what it does call boasting. And so let's pick up where we left off and begin part two of To Boast or Not to Boast next. is Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Around the table with you for this study about boasting is Bill Crowder, and he is guiding Elisa Morgan and Daniel Ryan Day and Rasul Berry in surveying some of the passages in the Bible that mention boasting. It's another of those ideas that when you look for it, you're surprised by the frequency of mentions that are there. And so as Bill will tell us, we have one more conversation that will focus on the negative aspects of boasting before we flip the page to some surprising positive references to boasting. And so in this first segment, he's gonna take us to a passage that connects boasting with tolerance in a way that is completely out of bounds. And so, Bill, go ahead and get part two of To Boast or Not to Boast underway. Tolerance is an idea that we hear a lot about today. In fact, tolerance has been described as the most important virtue in today's world. Hmm. What gives an idea like that merit? Well, I think the word tolerance sometimes gets a bad rap. Because to tolerate something just means... Endure it. Endure it or Mm -hmm. acknowledge that it's there or something like that. But I think it often gets used in a way of like unconditional acceptance. Oh, that's good. So instead of an indifference allowance, our culture has turned it into unconditional acceptance. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. Okay. Well, that was going to be my next question. How can that kind of tolerance (laughs) go too far? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Especially when you live in a place where people have diverse backgrounds and perspectives, it can be difficult to live in that space if everyone insists on their Mm -hmm. right to have their way be the right way. At the same time, it can go too far when you just throw out any kind of boundaries, you know, Mm -hmm. or rules. Like I was just with some friends. I live in New York City. So there's a subway. And I remember my friends had their three-year-old and their six-year-old with them. And they gave the three-year-old some space to walk. But at one point, when he got a little bit too close to the edge, they kind of grabbed them and pulled them back. There was tolerance to a point, but not too Mm -hmm. far because he's young Mm -hmm. enough that it could Mm -hmm. result in something bad happening. So I think that there is a tension there. And I think that's a helpful example because that's when tolerance, to your question, Bill, 
gets us in trouble yeah. is when we tolerate something so much in someone that it actually leads to their harm. Yeah. And just to push back too, we can be so intolerant, yeah. you know, that we don't include. One of the best other definitions I think of tolerance is an inclusion, you know, that there is a, an acceptance that's not necessarily, I agree with you 100%, mm-hmm. but there is a, a love We've been in the middle of some, I think, challenging conversations about the idea of to boast or not to boast. And we've talked about not boasting about personal skills and achievements, not boasting about religious works as if that was how we got into relationship with God, not boasting about our plans and schemes, and not boasting about our spiritual service Mm -hmm. as if we were the power behind what we do. We have one more of these not boasting things, and it has to do with tolerance. In a previous conversation, Russell, you commented that Paul had a history with the church at Corinth, and not all of that history was perfect. Mm -hmm. Corinth had some issues, and Paul was kind of taking them to task for some of those things in 1 Corinthians. And we've seen a couple of texts in 1 Corinthians already in this series. This time we want to look at 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. This is where he challenges them about some things they're boasting about. So, Elisa, do you have that? I do. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? That's a little out of context. Yeah, (laughs) and that's why we're going to go back and pick up the context. But in the Bible, when it uses leaven or yeast as a metaphor, what's it usually a metaphor for? Sin. Sin. Obviously, Paul's writing to a Gentile congregation in Greece, and he uses this illustration of leaven or yeast, and it's more in the context of what, Rasul, you said about sin. And what he does is gives us a test case of a situation where they are being tolerant of a sin situation within the life of the church that's doing harm to the gospel in the name of Christ. And that's what sets up this, your boasting is not good. They're actually boasting about their tolerance of sin Ah. within their Hmm. midst. So let's pick it up. And if the three of you just want to read a couple of verses each, verses one through six, that'll take us the context that brings into what you read, Elisa. Okay. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the man who has done such a thing. When you are assembled and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Okay, this is pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a church that's practiced church discipline. I have. And I've been the one who's had to do the pulpit part of that discipline. And it is excruciating. Again, a lot of it comes down to motive. Why do you do it? And you can tell from verse 5 that Paul's motive is not just to keep the church at a level of impossible purity, but his concern is for this guy Mm -hmm. who's sleeping with his dad's wife. I mean, he's concerned for him that he can be spiritually turned around. 
the idea of boasting comes in where apparently Paul has gotten a report from somewhere that the church at Corinth has this situation, they know they have this situation, and they're boasting about how open-minded they are about it. Hmm. And Paul says, that's not good, because that misrepresents Christ and the gospel. So how do you read that and respond to it? How do you hear well, it? Well, I'm staring at verse 2, and you are proud. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That's the way my translation... Yeah, mine has arrogant, arrogant. again, okay. which is a word that's popped up several times so far in our conversation. And I'm, I'm wondering, how would we define that here, Bill? That they're priding themselves, I think you said, on how open-minded they are. Is yeah, that what that means? That's the impression that I have from the text. Hmm. I do think it's interesting, backing up into verse one, that this kind of immorality, Mm -hmm. this kind of sin is something that even the pagans, the people outside of the church would Mm -hmm. blush at. Yeah. And I think that's where his point is, look at what you're doing to the name of Christ in Mm -hmm. that community. Look at how his name and his gospel is being represented in your community. That should concern you. Rather than bragging about it, you ought to be mourning over this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we were talking earlier about the concern Paul had, not just for the congregation, but for the individual who was caught up in this. Mm-hmm. And I would say also for the Lord's reputation. Yeah. You know, I think about the confusing message that it's sending to the people around them. They live in a city in a port town that has a very permissive culture in all forms. And Paul's envisioning them to be the called out ones, Mm. the church. And yet by almost picking and choosing what aspects of the gospel, this radical love imperative, which is a key component, but that also has to be connected to the speaking the truth and love component Mm -hmm. without having those held together that ends up with them actually having even a more permissive approach than the the people around them. And it sends a really conflicting message about the God that they serve. The other thing too, that really jumps out is not only is it sending this confusing message to the world, not only is it bad for this guy, but I think the implication in the yeast as a metaphor is that this is affecting them too. Mm -hmm. This isn't just an individual problem between this guy and his dad's wife. This is something that is impacting the church, impacting the people that are being permissive in a way that's destructive for them too. We often talk about sin like it's, Mm -hmm. well, that's her thing or that's my thing or whatever. Like it's very individualistic and doesn't impact others. But this very individual sin, quote unquote, is impacting the community. Yeah, we talked a lot about how in Western culture, we're very individualistic in our approach. But in Eastern cultures, it's very communal. Mm-hmm. in perspective. Paul is taking a very communal thing here. Like you rightly said, Daniel, we tend to think of things more on an individual level, but he's saying, no, what we do has a spillover effect on others around us, and we need to pay attention to that. And I do find it interesting. Russell, you said that they had a very permissive culture. Corinth was so over the top, out of bounds in sexual immorality that other parts of the Roman Empire would talk about the worst form of debauchery as to Corinthianize. Mm. And he says, even there, this is viewed as out of bounds. And yet you're permitting it. You're tolerating it. And I think, too, there is an element where this doesn't seem as foreign to me as it can feel when I read it in the church context. Because over the last few years, as conduct Mm -hmm. of sexual assault or aspects in which people who are either politicians or sit on boards has been exposed, there is this same sense of we have to essentially discipline them to have them step away and to show that we don't co-sign on their behavior. 
And when there are instances or if there are instances where the church doesn't do that, then it also shows a way in which they look at us like you're worse than the world. Yeah, I think the illustration you gave earlier, Rasul, about the child having freedom to run, Mm -hmm. but there have to be boundaries. And the scriptures offer us boundaries if we will take them and implement them speaking the truth in love. Mm -hmm. Because we can become so intolerant that the love of Christ is completely lost in the process. And we can be so tolerant that the love of Christ is lost in the process. For our last six conversations together, we've largely been focused on things we should not boast about, right? To boast or not to boast. We've kind of been really Mm -hmm. negative looking at the not to boast part. In this conversation, we turn the page and start thinking about things that the scriptures call us, not just say it's okay, but actually instruct us to boast about. (laughs) And just the very fact that there are cases where boasting is seen as appropriate feels a little odd after all the conversations we've seen about where it's not appropriate. And again, where have we kind of drawn the line about what makes it appropriate versus inappropriate? Well, when it's all about us, when it draws attention Mm -hmm. to us rather than to God, like I'm doing so many things for him and isn't that awesome? (laughs) (laughs) And and the isn't that awesome Mm -hmm. quickly morphs into aren't I awesome, right? right. And where I really think we just did such a great job (laughs) of pulling this together. uh uh I agree, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think one of the things that really jumped out was the fact that the heart and why we're doing what we're doing matters. The motive behind are boasting. I thought about the first passage we looked at in Jeremiah 9 that talked about the tendency of us as humans to boast in our wisdom, to boast mm-hmm. in our might and our wealth or our status or power mm-hmm. and how God, who has more of that than mm-hmm. all of us, <laughs> uh, yeah. wants us to boast about his compassion, his chesed, his justice and his righteousness. Yeah. Yeah, that's Mm. really good. Mm -hmm. Now, as we start talking about things we can boast about, Jeremiah 9 sets the stage. In fact, we saw Paul quote Jeremiah 9 in 1 Corinthians 1, and he actually does that again in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 17. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And we'll see that in a more Old Testament context in the scripture we want to see today. We want to look at Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. And it's important to get the superscription along with that. So who'd like to read that for us? I got it. Okay. Psalm of David, when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Okay, this is one of those somewhat unusual psalms where we're actually given a physical context for what prompted the writing of this psalm. And what prompted it was a situation in 1 Samuel 21. David is running from Saul, and he runs to Gath. Now, what do we know about Gath? Isn't that where Goliath is from? Yeah. 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 So, 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 so David so, is going to Goliath, his hometown. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where he slayed him, though. So, hmm. Well, he runs there for protection. Uh-huh. So that tells us how big of an enemy he viewed Saul as yeah. if he's going oh, yeah. to the home of the guy he killed yeah. to try to find safety there. 
But it says he feigned madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. He pretends to be insane because some people notice, hey, isn't this the guy who killed our guy, you know, and everything? And he pretends to be crazy. But Psalm 34, he doesn't take credit for that escape. In Psalm 34, he gives credit to the Lord for that escape. And that's why he begins with, I will bless the Lord at all times. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. (laughs) Now... How do you think David is balancing the tension of the story as it actually happened in time and space and the way he's recasting the story now? How does that hit you? Well, the first thing I want to pause on is how much trouble we have with this word boast. You know, Mm -hmm. I can totally understand why we shouldn't boast. I mean, that's what we spent our last conversations on. Boasting is tacky. You know, we just shouldn't do it. But now we're looking at why we should boast in the Lord. And the word, you know, I want to just go back and remind myself how we unpacked it, especially in the Hebrew, was to glorify, you know, to shine our face and our value on. You know, maybe boast is a weird word for us to apply Mm -hmm. this. We're more comfortable with it. Bless, praise, honor, glorify, magnify Mm -hmm. the Lord. And, you know, that just takes a whole different, and and it also, when I turn it back around, it's really inappropriate to bless and extol and honor and glorify and magnify me, you know, so it just, it turns it for me. Yeah. I think about the story that we tell, for instance, the opposite of like the boasting when the story that the spies told, except for Joshua and Caleb, was that the inhabitants of the promised land were so big and it said that we were like grasshoppers in their sight mm-hmm. and the interesting thing is like how do you know what you were like in their sight but that's how they saw themselves so mm-hmm. the story that they told was this can't happen because we're too small yeah and in this context the story that David is telling is that God is the one who delivered me mm-hmm. from the hands of my enemies and he used the insight or the approach and gave me favor Because they could have saw that I was crazy and said, hey, this is a great opportunity for us to kill the guy that killed our guy. But they didn't. And so the story he's telling himself is one in which the Lord is the hero and not him. Yeah. And I wonder if he's even laughing as he's writing these first words down because he's like, I still can't believe that worked. (laughs) Right? Like, It just came to me. I was going to act crazy and hope that they would let me off. And that worked. (laughs) And he just keeps writing about God must have been involved because I don't know how that strategy worked. It's awesome. And actually, you know, it's preposterous that a shepherd boy with five smooth stones and a slingshot would slay Mm -hmm. a giant. And so he already knew that the battle was the Lord's there. He he had known it going into it. It wasn't a big deal. I mean, it was a big deal, but I mean, he wasn't afraid. And that he'd lived beyond that. And so we went back to the site, the Mm. same site where it wasn't his might that could defend. It was God's might. Mm. It's also interesting too, the word humble shows up in these verses. And that's One of the themes I think we've seen in quite a few of these passages is the idea of humility, which, Rasul, you reminded us is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less, which was the (laughs) C.S. Lewis quote. But that humility is pretty key, I think, in each of these Mm -hmm. as to what is okay boasting, blessing the Lord, magnifying him, giving him the credit, and not okay boasting lifting ourselves up Mm -hmm. as if we deserve the credit. Yeah, and again, one of the things we've talked about a number of times is invitation. Mm. And notice David's celebration of God's rescue 
he doesn't say that he sings this as a solo. He invites <laughs> the community to join mm-hmm. in the celebration with him. And that, I think, is really rich because the community didn't pretend to be crazy and have that odd strategy work in their favor. He did. But his rescue is so overwhelming to him that there's almost a sense that my praise isn't enough for what God deserves here. So I want everybody Mm. to join in Mm. and celebrate with me. I think there's some real value there. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like the story that David is telling himself and others is that God is the hero. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that's why the word boasting I think for him is appropriate Mm -hmm. is that I want to brag on who God is but when God is jealous like God is the only person who can legitimately be jealous because he has a right to our complete allegiance Mm -hmm. in the full sense of the the word jealousy Mm -hmm. and in the same way like there's no way that our boast of God can outdo who he actually is so Mm -hmm. you know in that sense to take pride in in that and to encourage everybody at all times to be a part of it is appropriate when we're talking about God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a sense, what David's doing here is what a different psalmist challenges us to do in Psalm 107. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord Mm -hmm. say so, Mm -hmm. whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. Mm -hmm. David has been rescued from the hand of the adversary, and he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, and he's saying so. Mm -hmm. And again, he may have had this plan and, It may seem like a foolish plan to us, a plan that only works if God intervenes on his behalf, but God intervened on his behalf, Mm -hmm. and that was the telling stroke in a sense. Mm. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so, and and I love the fact that he says, I will bless the Lord how often? All times. Mm. At all times. Mm -hmm. This is the soundtrack of my life in Mm. a sense. I'm going to praise the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And as a part of that, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. Mm. I think there's an authenticity there Mm -hmm. that echoes out of the genuineness of his gratitude to God for what God's done on his behalf. Yeah, I think so. I'm I'm reminded of Proverbs 16, 9. It says, a man or woman plans his or her way, but the Lord directs their steps. And, you know, we see David implemented a little strategy right? I'm going to feign madness and hope it works. And so he, he planned his way. He tried something, but why it worked mm-hmm. is him giving credit well, to Well, and it's God. an example of what we have unpacked in other conversations that he could have said, wasn't that a great scheme of mine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But instead he's like... Yeah, the James passage, don't say we're going to go here and we're going to do this, mm-hmm. but say if the Lord wills. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. what he's saying is this was what the Lord willed. Yeah. And I'm going to point to him and give him the praise that he deserves. And I still think he's doing it with a little bit of laughter. Like, I still can't believe that works. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of the best times, like, to bless the Lord. Well, like, there are moments when you know it wasn't me. Yeah. It right. wasn't me because I yeah. didn't even intend for this to happen. No. But it worked anyway. But those moments remind us of the fact that it's always God. And it's yeah. never really fully you in the first place. That's right. It's good to boast in the Lord. That's one of the times when boasting can actually be a good thing. You are at the table with the Discover the Word group, surveying some passages of Scripture related to boasting in this series called To Boast or Not to Boast. 
Your study partners are Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. And in the next segment, they're going to talk about some of the common places we put our trust in, in that sense, boast about how confident we are in them. For example, money, our bank account, our financial plan, our 401k or other retirement accounts. But what is the insightful warning that actually is imprinted on our currency here in the U.S.? A motto even committed Christians have a tough time living out? Well, that part of our study to boast or not to boast follows this quick time out. Yeah, great to have you studying with us on the Discover the Word podcast. And let me take just a moment to encourage you to go to our website and check out something that you may not have been aware of. When you go to discovertheword.org, there is a store tab up at the top of the page. Click on that to open up another world of resources from us and from our Daily Bread Ministries. In the Discover the Word section of the store, Bill has a number of books, including one that just came out that started as a Discover the Word study last year. It's about the gospel in the mountains. And Elisa's new book for Christmas is also there on the store. It also has its roots in Discover the Word. And in fact, after this series on boasting that we're doing, we'll spend a couple of episodes of the podcast talking about the ideas in Christmas Changes Everything. That new book by Elisa is there in the store, as well as other resources that you can check out too. At that point, you're also just a click away from a wealth of Our Daily Bread publishing books and CDs, DVDs, kids' books, activities, some great Christmas shopping ideas when you click store at discovertheword.org. And now another surprising facet of this subject of boasting that, well, yes, Scripture comes down pretty negative on the underlying attitudes behind boasting in many instances. Uh, We also find that boasting at times falls into the appropriate category. And actually both aspects will be part of this next section of the discussion of to boast or not to boast. In 1956, the national motto of the United States became, In God We Trust. A year later, it started being put on our money. So I have a couple of questions. One, do you think that motto is actually a true statement? And two, do you find it ironic that that motto appears on our money? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Definitely answer the second one first, yes. (laughs) In terms of if it's true... Oh, man, that's such a hard question for a nation of 300 million people. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it depends. Yeah. Yeah. It would be my best answer. I mean, I think when the statement is true, we tend to be at our best. Mm. But how often it's true for all of us that that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, Rasul, your comment that you have a country of 300 million people I've told you all before about a church that I know of where the pastor said that their doctrinal statement, they entitled it what we teach Mm. rather than what we believe, because Mm. he's pretty sure that in their large church, not everybody believes every jot and tittle of that statement of faith, but they just want people to know if you come here, this is what we're going to teach you because these are our convictions. And I think the same thing's true. I think that there are millions of people in this country who genuinely seek to live their lives under the banner in God we trust. Mm. There are many in our country who don't even have God as an afterthought in their Mm. lives. And then it gets really scary because there's lots of times when something our country wants to do 
the God label is put on it as if it's for God or in God, Mm -hmm. but it's not a good thing. For example, it could be maybe a a war that Mm -hmm. somebody says in God, we're trusting God Mm -hmm. for the victory Mm -hmm. in this war. Mm -hmm. And then later we find out, ooh, I don't know if that Mm. was God at work there. And so we put this label on it as if it's God who wants this to happen. And that's happened throughout mm-hmm. all of history. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not just, and not just in here. America. Yeah. Right. right. It's almost like we want to baptize everything we do with God's approval mm-hmm. and a four word motto, like in God, we trust almost gives us permission to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think there is some trepidation there, but I do think the irony of having that phrase on our money mm-hmm. feels odd in a country that money is so important yeah, and so much a big part of who we are as a nation and how so much of our personal security is wrapped up in our financial well-being. Yeah, we use that word security and tie it to money in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where I want us to think about boasting in this conversation, because the whole idea of where is your trust, where is your security, that's going to end up having a big part of what you boast about. And in the scriptures, it reminds us that our security is not in any of the things that we might amass or accumulate here in this life, but it's actually in the Lord himself. And we see this in Psalm 20, verse 7. And it's actually a verse in one of our earliest conversations on this subject, Rasul. You kind of tapped into a minute. So why don't you read it for us, would you? Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. And just in that, it's very interesting because Elisa, in our last conversation, reminded us that words have ranges of meanings and that the word boast has a range of meanings. My translation in both places where yours says trust, mine says boast. Mm. Some boast in chariots and some in horses. We will boast in the name of the Lord, our God. Yeah. And mine says some take pride in chariots and some in horses, but our pride is in the name of the Lord, our God. See, that sounds really different. Boast, pride, and trust. Yeah. But why is the psalmist here, and it is David, we don't know if he wrote it when he was king or before he became king, but why would chariots and horses be something that people would boast in? Well, that sounds like might, power, resources, all of the above. And in that previous conversation, Rasul, you mentioned that that's like the version the of a tank, <laughs> yeah, right? I remember that. Today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In David's time, chariots were cutting edge military technology. The country that had the most and best charioteers and chariots and horses was going to be most successful in battle because they're a quick attack force in ways nothing else was. I mean, not to go on too far of a tangent, but it kind of reminds me of like the Lord of the Rings movies where like there would be in these hand-to-hand combat battles Mm -hmm. and it would be looking very bleak for the one side and then you'd see coming down Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. the hills this fleet of men on horses and that would turn the tide of the battle because there was such a advantage with the speed and the power and the angle and the height and so just imagine that with chariots like i read a interview once with a new york city policeman and he was asked why do they use horses 
for mm. crowd control. And he said, when it comes to crowd control, one horse is worth 50 police officers. Wow. Mm. Just the, the height, the ankle. J- the... Well, just the imposing presence okay. of that horse. Okay. And so what he's saying here is some put their boast, put their confidence, put their trust, take pride in their military ability because of their chariots and their horses. But that's not where our security is. We will put our trust and confidence and boast in the name of the Lord. And why the name of the Lord rather than just God? In God we trust. <laughs> well, because in Scripture, God's name is kind of shorthand for his character, mm-hmm. if you will. And so it's not just his name. It's not like, you know, when we say we're going to pray in Jesus' name as if that was some magic formula that automatically sanctifies everything we prayed for, whether it was right or not. The name of the Lord means I'm praying in alignment with his character and who he really is Mm. and his purposes and what they really are. Yeah. And this being in a battle context, I wonder if there's kind of a play off of the idea of a banner as well. Like we're under the banner Mm -hmm. of... Speaking of names, Yahweh, right? The name that's not to be spoken in the Old Testament. We're under that banner. So great. There's lots of chariots and horses, but our banner, our hope, who we're fighting for, whose protection we're under is this God. I think also it invokes for me a sense of covenant and revelation Mm -hmm. because when Moses is like, who should I say sent me? And it's like, tell him I am that I am, right? It revealed the sense of, you know, in the different moments where God reveals himself in specific names, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Mm -hmm. There's this aspect of that personality of that character that's specific to my Mm -hmm. circumstance and i'm going to trust in that particular need more than i would even the calvary coming on my behalf Mm -hmm. yeah and in that context of god revealing himself to moses was when israel was most vulnerable to a nation of chariots right right in egypt that's true and i'm thinking about a proverbs where we read that the name of the lord is a strong tower and the Mm -hmm. righteous shall run into it and be safe yeah and by run into it they mean enter it not Smack running. <laughs> um, but yeah, the name of the Lord. That's why we do pray in Jesus' name because we want our prayers to line up with who He is and what He desires. Because in our hearts, we know that's what's best, even though that might not be what we actually desire in a particular moment. Mm-hmm. Now, some trust in chariots, some in horses. How might we paraphrase that for our culture today? (laughs) Some trust in money. (laughs) Some trust in stocks and bonds. Yeah, some trust in their IRA Mm -hmm. or their 401k. Some trust in military power. Some trust Mm -hmm. in being a part of the right group of people. Uh, Some trust in... their intellect. And their intellect. their ability to explain or understand. Yeah, and that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. any of those things are totally bad. Right. Right. None of them. I mean, intellect is valuable. Military strength is valuable for a country. However, mm-hmm. as followers of Christ, as a people of God, that can't be where our ultimate security lies. Hey, what if we do this? Some trust in their pastor. Or or their doctrinal statement yeah. or their view on this particular issue. Or what if we do this? I trust in. Oh, shush. <laughs> right? Because yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Rebecca and I went through a situation very recently where a lot of financial things hit at one time. Mm-hmm. And I found out real quick mm-hmm. how much trust I had put in the savings account I was building, especially when it got wiped out. Yep. Yeah. And that's what we do. And so maybe even for those who are joining us around the table too, putting an eye there 
because it's easier to say some trust, That's like those right. people. Bring it in first those person. Those poor people, they trust in those things. Yeah. They should trust in the Lord. I think the first personalization of it is mm-hmm. really a valuable exercise because, again, we can do that spiritual brag mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we're talking about the Lord, but it's really about I'm the one who has the good sense mm-hmm. to put my trust in the Lord rather than in mm-hmm. all these other things. And I think what David's giving us here is a reminder that all of us have our chariots and horses. We do. Yeah. And we need to learn to shift our confidence away from whatever our personal chariots and horses are and into the Lord who is greater than our chariots and horses, whatever those might be. Okay, what do you get excited about? Going home. And my little Mia dog, she's a Jack Russell, gets so excited that she gets me excited. She's just, we can't even go as high as she goes. It's amazing. Mm. I love it. I don't have a sound effect for mine. <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually really okay. <laughs> oh, gosh. I have been so surprised lately at how excited I get at a night where I don't have to set my alarm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm about to expose myself as a nerd. <laughs> I get excited when I get Wordle in three <gasps> guesses or less. Yeah, that's hard. I get excited about sports. I know really? you're shocked to hear what? that. Um, but I mean, over the years, I look back and there are times when I've been so engaged in the sports that I'm following at that point in time that it almost takes it to a place where it's unhealthy. Or <laughs> obnoxious. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Don't hold back. Tell us what's really good. <laughs> oh, I love that about you. So when we talk about what gets us excited, it's really interesting. And maybe it's because all we get of him is what he wrote in the Bible. But what got Paul excited was seeing lives changed by the gospel. And so much so that he boasts not in himself, but in what God's doing in the lives of other people. Hmm. And we see that. We had several conversations that were rooted in 1 Corinthians where they were kind of bragging about the wrong stuff. Now we go to 2 Corinthians and we see Paul bragging about them Mm -hmm. in a way that he says is good. So 2 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 4. Who'd like to read that? I can. Okay. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and of spirit, making holiness perfect in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts, to die together and to live together. I often boast about you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with consolation. I am overjoyed in all our affliction. Hmm. There's a lot of mixed emotions in that last sentence, aren't there? There's affliction and pain. There's joy and comfort and encouragement. It's really an interesting text. Now, what's kind of happening leading up to this is it appears that the Corinthians, who I think we've talked about the environment at Corinth, they were trying to live for Christ in a tough place. And it seems as though maybe some people are going after him because they're not developing spiritually fast enough. And they've kind of taken that on board and are discouraged with themselves. And rather than condemn them Mm. for not developing quickly enough in that tough environment, it seems as though what Paul is doing is he's just ramping up how much he wants to celebrate the fact that they've even been redeemed. 
mm-hmm. that they're new creatures in Christ. Maybe they're not spiritual adults yet, but they are people who do know the Savior and even in the midst of a hard place are trying to live for him. Mm-hmm. Now, that, I think just the overwhelming nature of his terms, great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. Speaks of a level of excitement that he has where he's affirming them instead of criticizing them. Mm-hmm. And apparently that was what they really needed at that moment. Yeah, I see a little bit of what you're saying because in chapter 6, verse 13, he mentions it's as if he's speaking to children. So yeah. explaining complex things in more simple terms and then says, open wide your heart. So open it up to this message. And then later he talks about in this section we just read about you are in our hearts, make room in your hearts for us. And then goes into talking about boasting. So it's like he's explaining these complex things in simple terms, but not, as you said, to condemn them or to make them feel less than, but actually to expand and boast and get excited about what God's doing in them. And once again, this feels like a very odd usage of the word boast. My translation says, I take pride in you. But what I really hear is it's a compliment. (laughs) You know, he's complimenting, he's cheering them on. Yes, he's giving God the credit for it, Mm -hmm. but he is really wooing them forward to the changed life that God's been working in them. And it seems like Paul is masterfully doing two things at the same time. He's challenging their notions, right, in First Corinthians, this idea that somehow speaking eloquently or mm. that somehow wielding this type of influence or power to have people follow you is what makes someone worthy of praise. And he turns the whole thing on his head and is like, even though me as Paul could have the ability to do all of that, I'm actually mm. making my boast what makes my significance the change life that is expressed in you. not in myself. And what does that say about what really matters and what we really value is influence? Yeah, Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you take note of how many difficulties Paul had with the church at Corinth. Mm -hmm. Clearly, there were some issues there, but here he's celebrating them and their relationship with the Lord and secondarily his relationship with them. I love this when he says, I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. And later on, just in a few chapters, he's going to give a pretty profound list of what all those afflictions are that he's Mm -hmm. been suffering. And yet what he's saying to them is, no, you're not the finished article, but you don't know how much encouragement it gives me as I'm going through these things just to know that you're walking with the Lord the best you can in a tough place. Mm -hmm. I think it serves as a good corrective for us and the expectations that we place on other people because we tend to want people to measure up to a certain standard. And if they don't, there's a tendency to kind of throw them away. Mm -hmm. But Paul doesn't have a cancel culture mentality in Mm -hmm. that sense. Mm -hmm. What he's saying is, no, I'm right in there with you. And as I'm in here suffering, what I take encouragement from is that you guys are trying to walk with Jesus. Yeah. And I noticed you mentioned his overflowing joy. The word joy shows up in a different form in verse 9. Now I rejoice, not because you were grieved by what I wrote to you, but because your grief led to repentance, Mm -hmm. for you felt a godly grief, Mm -hmm. so that you were not harmed in any way by us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation and brings no regret. And then he contrasts that with how worldly grief brings death, but this godly grief that they've experienced has brought repentance and new life Mm -hmm. to them. 
And that's what excites him, the, yeah. the transformation that he's taken place. Even though it may be in small increments, it's still there. And he wants to validate that with them. You know, we've talked a lot about the position of our hearts in all these conversations and what drives us and what motivates us. If he was nothing else, Paul was a man of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see bumper stickers that say, not perfect, just forgiven. It's almost like this is where that idea came from. He doesn't expect them to be the finished, completed thing. He is excited for every small little baby step they make on their journey. Mm -hmm. And that encourages him that the gospel's still working in their lives. It also encourages me, like just to turn it around from their standpoint, because they know all the issues that Paul has had with them. They know the hard things he's had to say. What does it do to someone when they hear that someone is boasting in them, when they know Mm -hmm. they've blown it and they've Mm -hmm. messed up? Mm -hmm. And it seems to also create an opportunity for them to once again reorient their sense of identity and their sense of worth away from their accomplishments and toward the grace of God. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of in situations where we have to confront someone. Yeah. It's so important after that to like remind them of your care for them, your love for them and all that. And Paul, maybe in first Corinthians, it could have been that letter that Mm -hmm. they're referring to as Mm -hmm. what he wrote to them or where he's confronted some of these broken things. The most vulnerable spot that you feel in when you've been confronted is when you realize that you were wrong and you apologize and you're wondering if this changes how that person's going to see you forever. And I almost feel like Paul here is reminding them that like, no, I wrote that because I really cared about you then. And now I'm seeing this change in you and it hasn't changed anything. Mm -hmm. I still care and love you now Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. And how important that reminder would be not only because Paul cared for them, but as this ambassador or picture of God and God's the same way who Mm -hmm. also is boasting in Mm -hmm. you and caring for you and loving you. Yeah, I love that he says, you are in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a tenderness. Think about how he talks about how God rejoices over like a mother over a child in, yeah. other, mm-hmm. in other places. But I also think about how Second Corinthians begins that, you know, praise be to the God of all comfort who comforts mm-hmm. us so that we can comfort others. There is this amazing acting out of the heart of God. Yeah. And with that, his relationship with Corinth is almost like the opposite of his relationship with Thessalonica. He writes to the Thessalonians, he says, I don't have to say anything about you because everywhere I go, people are talking about what God's doing Mm -hmm. among you. Mm -hmm. Here he says, I'm telling everybody about you guys Mm -hmm. and what God's doing there. And so two very different churches, two very different situations. And yet with both of them, Paul is making a kind of boast in what God is doing at work in their lives because it's worth celebrating. Yeah, I think we can all single out times when words of affirmation have made a huge difference in our lives. And so that's a kind of boasting about how we can see God at work in people's lives that lands in the positive yes side of the question that we've been talking about in these last episodes of the Discover the Word podcast, to boast or not to boast. Well, we've got one more passage that we're going to look at. It's in Galatians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul said, May I never boast except about this. Discover what this is after we take a moment to preview for you our special Christmas focus this year on the Discover the Word podcast. 
When did Christmas actually become Christmas to you? When did it become more than carols? And when did it become more than Santa and stockings? And maybe more than family? When did Christmas become Christmas? Next time on the Discover the Word podcast, Elisa Morgan leads the group in a series of conversations called Christmas Changes Everything. This week we're considering how really Christ's birth, how the original Christmas changes everything. Mm-hmm. And we're going to look at this concept from the peephole of various characters in the Christmas story, in the first Christmas story, mm-hmm. and look at how did Christmas change them. And I hope as we process through this, it'll cause us to consider for ourselves, how has Christmas changed everything for us? And how is it still changing? And yeah, don't miss the next Discover the Word podcast about how Christmas changes everything. And now, the conclusion of our conversation about boasting, and to boast or not to boast. Just kind of as a review with our friends at the table with us, what are some of the things we are not to boast about? All the great stuff we do for God. Yeah, (laughs) religious works. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, our own plans or our own control over life or its circumstances. Because mm. we don't have it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Boast about our wealth or status or any of these things that ultimately God is the author of. Yeah, Yeah, and Paul even warned the the church at Corinth about inappropriately boasting about tolerance of sin in their midst. Now, what are some things that we can boast about? Yeah, the name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Change lives. Change Mm -hmm. lives in the gospel, yeah. Mm -hmm. And this last conversation we're going to have really is talking to us about what it is that makes it possible for us to boast in the Lord. And that's found in Galatians chapter 6. So would somebody give us Galatians 6 verse 14? Sure. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Yeah. That almost has to boast and not to boast in one verse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of like the Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 that we started with and have referenced several times. It talks about what not to boast in and what to boast in. And here Mm -hmm. he just says, I'm not going to boast in anything except Mm -hmm. the cross. Which is interesting language because boasting in the cross, which you had nothing to do with. Yeah. But it's also interesting language because there was no more shameful death in the ancient Roman world Mm -hmm. than death by crucifixion. Mm. So to boast in something which was an instrument of shame is a real contradiction in terms in a first century letter. Hmm. So, which begs the question, why would he boast in something that was such a source of shame? Yeah, and he answers that question in the second half of the verse. What's he say? That the world's been crucified to him and he to the world. Yeah, it's through the cross that this life-changing transformation has taken place in him. The same thing in our last conversation that he was celebrating in the Corinthians, that through the message of the cross, people's lives had been changed. Now he's saying, my life has been changed too. And it's not about me, it's about the cross, because that's where it all happened. You know, I've heard theologians, especially recently, suggest that the most important tenet of our faith is the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. The focus on the cross as the covering that's necessary for reconciliation is pivotal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so counter to everything that we would expect because we would expect a God to deliver through showing might and power and strength. Mm -hmm. 
and Jesus, his throne in some ways was the cross, mm-hmm. right? I'm also drawn to kind of unpack this or at least to ask about y'all unpacking. <laughs> the world has been crucified to me. Yeah, what a weird verse, right? <laughs> right. It makes me think of when he said, I've died and my life is now hidden with Christ and God. Yeah. The power of the world, maybe. Yeah. The pressures. I mean, we certainly understand cultural pressures mm-hmm. weighing down on us, trying to push us. I mean, Paul in Romans 12 talks about, do not let the world press you into its mold. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there's an element of that. I've been crucified to the world, but the world's been crucified to me. I'm no longer under its influence primarily because the influence of the cross is so much greater. Well, and that's quite a thing for him to say, you know, when he spent so many decades in the world, perfecting his world, you know, through Judaism, through legalism, etc. I mean, for him to say that now I'm crucified to the world and the world's crucified to me is truly a death of his lineage of what he was counting on, Mm. what he stood upon. Not that I want to make it about us, because Paul isn't talking to Mm -hmm. us directly. But as we think about that, I'm thinking about all the times that people, especially Christians, especially people like me, <laughs> will say things like the world or the culture, like as mm-hmm. if that's the bad thing. Yeah. And I'm just trying to figure out practically, what does that look like to be the world to be crucified to me and me to the world? I think about First John, is it four, where it says, do not love the world for mm-hmm. in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's good. Mm-hmm. And the picture is like zoom out from the word crucified. And let's remember for a second that in general, this idea of crucifixion was execution, Mm -hmm. right? And the only atoning value that we have is when Jesus is crucified, but when everybody else is just executed and died publicly, put to shame. The world being crucified to Paul means that that lust of the flesh, that lust of the eyes, that pride of life Mm -hmm. is executed. It's shameful Mm -hmm. now. But then this is the part where it gets me, though. (laughs) I am crucified to the world. Mm -hmm. So I am on that cross. It's almost like uh, there was a song, a rapper, the ambassador. He said, I used to date a girl named World, Mm -hmm. but now I got a new best friend because the world will leave you dry and leave you die in the end. And in the song, he pictures the world as a girlfriend that he broke up Mm. with. Well, when you break up with somebody, they don't like you, too. And the part that I struggle with (laughs) is when I have to deal with and reckon with the after effect of the fact that I broke up Mm -hmm. with the world, right? Mm -hmm. That it's crucified to me. And and also embrace that same cross of realizing that that means some of the benefits, some of the accolades, some of the amenities of what Mm -hmm. it means to identify with the world are lost to Mm -hmm. me, too. And I personally struggle with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the expression in Ecclesiastes, under the sun, Mm -hmm. that means according to this world's values and thinking and priorities and things like that. And when we live under the sun in that sense, and we allow the world to press us into its mold, we can't at the same time be conformed to the image of Christ. We have to die to the pressures of the world culture in order to be able to be alive to Christ. Mm -hmm. It's, It's all part of the same transaction. And I see kind of a connection here to just the theme of boasting that we've talked about. Because oftentimes those places where the world is pressing us into its mold are blind spots that Mm -hmm. we can't see anyway. 
right? We don't see the ways that we find our security or our strength in money or might or influence or power oftentimes, right? Those are things that we just do naturally. And so oftentimes we need some kind of outside influence, God, Holy Spirit, other people that God puts us in relationship with to shine the light on those spots. And when there is that recognition of that and there's life change, we're like, that is all God, right? And then we end up boasting in what God's work is in us. Okay, let's grab this from one other direction as we wrap up these conversations. Three of us at this table spent six weeks a couple of years ago studying through the book of Galatians. Why would this statement have had particular impact to the churches of Galatia? I've just been sitting here reading the verses prior (laughs) to the one that you focused us on, Bill, and it's climactic for our conversations that we've had. You know, he says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. So this is in verse 12 of chapter 6. And he goes back to the whole argument of don't add on things to the gospel, to Mm. to the cross. And he goes on and he says, not even those who are circumcised and keep the law, yet if they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision Mm. in the flesh. May I never boast except in in the cross. And so, you know, Paul, he is writing from this context. And you're right, we can put whatever it is in our circumstance out there. And that's the thing in contrast that we must not boast and that we must not trust and that we must not depend on, Mm -hmm. that instead it is Christ. Yeah. And what jumps out to me is in the very next verse after what we've been talking Mm -hmm. about, verse 15, Mm -hmm. for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, Mm -hmm. but a new creation is everything. So we have this verse about dying to the world and the world dying to us. Why? Because there's a new creation happening, a new world that's being created. Mm -hmm. And in verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And if you go back earlier into Galatians, he kind of set all of this up at the end of chapter 2 when he says, for I have been crucified with Christ. I to the world, the world to me. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. There's that tension point Mm -hmm. again. Yet not I but Christ lives in me. Mm -hmm. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what he front-loaded in Galatians chapter 2, he now makes the crescendo of this letter in Galatians 6, that it really is about the cross and what Jesus accomplished there on our behalf, where he, as the writer of Hebrews says, endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. We're part of that joy that was set before him. (laughs) But what the world saw as shame, Jesus despised that shame because he saw the joy on the other side. And now Paul says, that's what I boast in. And that's what we can boast into. That's right. Mm. Great conclusion to our series, To Boast or Not To Boast. Galatians 6.14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're listening to Discover the Word alongside Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. And we're glad you're able to join us for this challenging and timely series called To Boast or Not to Boast. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, 
challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Now here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries, it is our mission to spread the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible to people all around the world. And if you'd be interested in helping us fulfill our mission of telling the story of Jesus, uh, maybe consider giving a special year-end gift. Simply look for the Donate button when you go online to our website at discovertheword.org. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedding. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.